0: John 15 and let's just read the first 11 verses so it's titled the vine and the branches I am the true vine and my father is the gardener he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit well every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you remain in me as I also remain in you So uh, this week, uh, it's been a bit hard to prepare for it because John 15 is actually my favourite reading. So it's been a bit hard to uh, make myself um, feel like I can do justice for it. It's actually given to me on my baptism, this verse. So it's got special meaning to my life. But I want to start by mentioning that this week's Palm Sunday... And uh, being Palm Sunday, it represents the start of what I mentioned before called Holy Week. And we know the story, Palm Sunday is when Jesus rode into Jerusalem and he, uh, as as he entered, people uh, laid palm leaves in front of him as he rode in on the donkey. And uh, you probably remember if you grew up in church that you're given little palm leaves so that you could uh, lay them down in the aisle or something in or you made them in a Sunday school to take home, tell your parents. Um, yeah. So this week was actually, this week is actually all in anticipation of leading up to Easter, Good Friday, and the death of Jesus. So this Palm Sunday, we're actually going to continue into John chapter 15, following our seven I Am statements. And what we've been doing is talking about the 7 a.m. statements of John. And before I get started, I just think, because this is the last one in the series that we're doing, it's important to realise why we've done it. And the reason why we've done it, and it's, there's a Greek word called doxpha, right? And doxpha is essentially the revelation of Jesus and explain, in revealing his glory to the the jews to his disciples and him proclaiming that he's god but the real reason why we look at it is because of who jesus is the reason that jesus's actions are so important is because who he is not because his actions are important so who he is doesn't matter does that make sense we're a small group, so we can say, I don't get it, or you can ask questions. We can be interactive, it's good. <laughs> so really what we've done is we've gone through and said, okay, here is what Jesus has done, but here's also what he's saying he is in these I Am statements. And we've focused on who Jesus says he is in the seven statements. And if you've missed any, you can actually look up the different sermons online We do have them online and if you don't know how to access it, we can easily point you to it. So come ask me and I'll be able to show you all the other sermons we've done in the series. But what we're going to do this weekend is look at John 15 and the statements, I am the true vine. When Jesus makes this statement, it actually would have been 24 hours, less than 24 hours, until he would be betrayed, arrested and slaughtered. So we, we are, we're looking into John 15. And as we went through it, you might not be familiar with a lot of the imagery that's there. We know the wine and we know the vine and we know the fruit is a grape. But the fact is, there's so much more to what the Jews would have been aware of. There's actually a verse in Ezekiel it says, um, You are fruitless as on the wine press, and all you are good for is to be burnt. Um, And so what that means is that actually all the time throughout the Old Testament is that Jesus uh, is referencing how Israel's been fruitless. Every time that the vine was mentioned, they're saying, you're you're heading down the wrong track. You're not actually being fruitful and you're not representative of God's people. And uh, what Jesus has done here is he's actually turned that whole idea of a fruitless wine vine, representative of Israel and, and the, the people there, he's taken the picture of the vine and turned it on its head. And what he said, in a short way of saying it, is, don't worry, I know you can't do any of this stuff, but I'll do it for you. I'll look after you, I'll do all the things that you can't do, I'll be all the things that you can't be yeah and essentially this is nothing short of a summary of the whole gospel it's just jesus saying i am here to be what you cannot be he's taking down this banner of failure over people's lives and saying don't worry i got this and that's what happened when jesus says i am the true vine So we haven't been able to be fruitful in ways which please god but jesus has got it he's rescuing the idea that no matter how hard we work or how hard we try or how hard we we fall away he's stepping into that mess and he says i'll look after you i am the true vine the types of fruitfulness that you've been unable to make That's what I'm going to make possible for you. And we can spend a long time just looking at a vine. We can look at the interaction between the father and the son, the father being the gardener, looking after the vine. We can look at different ways that the Holy Spirit is interacted into this picture. We can do all of those things. But ultimately, it's imagery for us. We want to get to the so what factor. And it's very theological, this whole I am statement. It's hugely theological. And I'm going to try and, do, to try and give you three theologies, which uh, hopefully I can explain in this time for you. It was quite hard this morning to try and put it all into 20 minutes. Chris smiles because he knows he heard. <laughs> nice teeth. He had his braces off. <laughs> let's look at the three points the three points are since jesus is divine you can expect to be pruned if i put my two cents in here i'd like to say look i'm just happy not being pruned i don't like the hardships i'd just prefer not (laughs) but subsequently when we get pruned we get blessed and it actually allows us to be more fruitful so we want to look at that when we get when jesus is the vine and we are the branches we get pruned the second point is our position as christians as believers of jesus is that we're now in his presence that's the second point point. and the third point that i'd like to look at is G- jesus being the true vine gives us the power to love So there are three heavy concepts. I apologise if your head comes out to morning tea in a whirl and you're like, Caleb, I don't get it. Feel free to ask me questions. Let's look at point one. Point one is you can expect to be pruned. In verse two of this reading, it says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful so i'm going to give you straight up a super hard statement to be christian is to bear fruit right to be christian is to bear fruit if there is no fruit there then there is no genuine belief yeah does that make sense If there's no fruit, there's no genuine belief. And when you start to look at it, you can define um, different sorts of fruits and that's where it starts to matter. Uh, If you define that fruit in an external, moral, religious way, then we're actually no better off than the Pharisees of Jesus' time. Because that's not how Jesus defines fruit but he says here that if you don't bear any fruit at all, then you get cut off. And essentially that cut off eventually leads to being thrown into a fire. And the goodies, the goodies of us that do bear fruit, we get pruned and we get cut back. Now, why does God prune? Eric does a bit of gardening. I've seen his water lilies. (laughs) They're awesome. You don't really prune back water lilies though, do you? No, so, do, you, does, do we understand the concept of pruning? Roses and like that. Oh yeah, pruning roses. I haven't got any of those. When we prune, what it does is it actually encourages growth in its specific area. It's taking off different parts. So say another branch starts growing out. What it's doing is it's saying, no, actually, I don't want you to do that. I want you to invest your nutrients in a different area. So the plant actually learns, okay, I don't do that. Then it might start putting stuff into uh, the leaves. And then you prune off the leaves. It says, no, I don't want you to be investing into the leaves. So then it goes to the next spot. So it goes to the grapes. So what happens is when we get pruned, we actually start bearing more fruit yeah what is this fruit though that we're talking about what is this fruit that Jesus is talking about and in this time when he's actually saying I am the vine he who bears in me and I in him will bear much fruit they don't yet have the book that Paul wrote which is in Galatians which we know and I just want to read that to you very quickly it says in chapter 5 verse 22 and 23 but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control this is the fruit that jesus is talking about his actions and if we're to follow those and bear fruit from that is replicating those that is the stuff that comes out in our lives and look here note that The fruit, when we look at the fruit of the Spirit, it's not plural. Now, we've been studying Greek, Kerry and I, the past trimester, and we know that plural and singular is very important. And the Greek word uses singular. Why this is so important is because actually, without one of the fruits of the Spirit, you can't have the other. Let me explain it. So when Jesus says... Um, Sorry, so when you you can't have one fruit with the other, let me explain. If you lack patience, you probably aren't loving. Yeah? If you aren't loving, then you probably lack joy. And if you lack joy, then you probably lack kindness. And if you lack kindness, you probably don't walk in a lot of goodness. And if you lack goodness, then you probably aren't faithful. And if you aren't faithful, you probably lack gentleness. And you see how it's interlinked? You've got to have all of them. And that's the idea behind being pruned, is that once you get one of the fruits, he prunes you back and it allows you to develop more fruit so that you can then be further invested in that growth. Now, a little note here, no one is ever fully pruned, right? We're, we're always better off than where we started, but we're never ultimately where we want to be. Yeah. so God in his wisdom prunes us and he prunes us so that we can continue to grow and produce better better fruit and grow in these areas now let me say something here just because you're being pruned or trimmed doesn't mean that you have done anything wrong Yeah, do you put that point up? Yeah, thanks, Josh, on the ball. Just because you're being pruned doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong. Quite often we associate hardship, troubles, pain, trials with being in the wrong. And back in the Old Testament, quite a lot of the time, that was what happened. They'd be captured by war or they'd go through all these um, trials because they had done something wrong. But we live in a new covenant. Because we're being pruned doesn't mean we're doing anything wrong. Actually, it means that we're on the the journey of growth. So that leads me to my second point. And if I read to verse 3, it says, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. And it's a bit scandalous, the verse, because he's already stated, right, in verse 1 and 2, that if you're not a believer, then you'd be thrown... Out, cut off the vine if you are a believer you get pruned to grow more then he says to his disciples but you are already clean and you are clean because you believe my word I spoke to you and you believe what I said who I am and keep in mind that Jesus knows in 24 hours these people are actually going to flee from him yet he's saying to them you are clean because you believed in my word and this is why i say that our position is actually in the presence because of who jesus is not because of who we are yeah make sense so in verse says verse four it says remain in me as i in you and no branch can bear fruit by itself it must remain in the vine neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me so this is one of the greatest mysteries of the christian christian life the christian walk is this union with christ he being in me and i in him and here's why it's so hard to believe right when we believe you've offended someone you tend to avoid them yeah yeah when you, whether it's conscious or subconscious, when you believe you've offended someone, you tend to avoid them. Look at a, a little puppy, right, to start with. If you have just started training it and you give it a whack across the head because it's just pooped in the living room for the, the 15th time and you're getting sick of it, you go out to cool off for a walk without it, you come back and it will hide, won't it? Whereas if you have gotten past that stage and you actually enjoy that friendship that you have with your dog, when you come home and there's not been any like, r- wrongdoings on the dog's part, the dog comes out and it's one of the happiest little things you'll see You know, when you come home. Yeah? When we believe we've offended, we tend to avoid. But what's so stunning about what's happening here in verse 4 is Jesus is saying if you abide in me then I will abide in you and because of that we are welcomed and delighted in through Christ there's no reason to avoid God it's pretty funny whenever I go to a coffee shop and they say where do you work I say oh I work up at a church in the, in the New Beginnings in Cronulla and they say oh oh And instantly, you know, if you say you're a Christian, people put up their walls, whether it's at school or at work. People sort of get, like, reserved because you have God dwelling in you. All of a sudden, they know why you're different and they feel unworthy. On a subconscious level, they're feeling unworthy. They don't know how to approach someone that's so perfect in God. They know that I'm approachable because we were just chatting two minutes ago about something that's happening on world news or something. It's incredible, though, that change. So if you put out the next quote for me, Josh, to understand our position in the presence of God is to understand that in Christ, we don't have to avoid, but we can run to regardless of what we are guilty of. Does that make sense it's a bit wordy but it's a big concept to understand our position in god we have to understand that because of jesus we don't have to be afraid rather we go to yeah and this is so important especially on a day like today which is palm sunday good friday coming and easter sunday Because that's the whole reason that we can go to that place with Jesus. Because he's made that sacrifice for us. It's when we realise Jesus can do what we can't, that we run to him and not from him. So we can expect to be pruned, and it's because of the growth that we see our position in the presence of God... The final thing I want to point out is that because of these things, we are given the power to love. We're given the power to love. Let me read from 8 to 10 for you. It says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands and you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love what we're reading here is this cycle of dependence there's a cycle of dependence and it's stunning and i think that because we quite don't understand and because we don't fully embrace and we can hardly figure out what's really going on with our position in god's presence we read this text wrong We go and read this and say, okay, if I go obey God's commands, then I will be able to abide in his love. But in fact, that's not what he's saying at all. He's saying, if you abide in my love, then out of that, my commands will follow. So it's not obey my commands and you'll love me. Rather, it's grow in your love for me, then you'll obey my commands when we get this backwards we actually enslave ourselves and you step outside of what's called the orthodox christian faith now that is where you the orthodox christian faith is where you do it so isn't where you do it so you may be approved rather the orthodox christian faith is where we love and out of that we do it let me describe the po- process, right? I don't get out of bed in the morning. I'm going to embarrass you here, Bronte. Yeah. I don't get out of, the bo- the, out of bed in the morning and think, okay, it's coffee time. I don't go out and make my coffee and say, you know what? I don't really feel in love with Bronte at the moment, so I'm not going to make her a coffee. That's not what I say. And I don't say, you know what? I don't really feel in love with Bronte, but what will jumpstart that for me? I don't say that. And then I don't say, oh, she's a bit stressed out lately, which makes me stressed. Or, gosh, how would I jumpstart that love for her? I know, make her a coffee. That's not how it works. Rather, it's, I love Bronte, so when I make a coffee in the morning, it's out of my love for her that I do that simple action. Does that make sense? Yeah? Yeah? It's, it's the same thing here in this verse. What we're called to do is work on our love for Jesus and in turn that will affect our obedience. Not to work on our obedience which will then work on our love. What this means for us as Christians is that we want to fill our lives with things that draw us to the affections of Jesus. Jesus right and simultaneously we want to cut out the things that robs us of those affections because if i'm first called to love jesus and then in loving christ that straightens my crooked path the best way for me to spend my time my energy and my efforts isn't not trying to do bad things yeah it's not trying to do Bad things but rather it's to give myself over to Jesus and grow in my love for him so that that good good actions will flow from that so here's a good exercise I think which would be good for you and I to actually participate in this week as we come in up to Easter which ultimately should be one of our biggest times for reflection What i think we should do is actually spend some time identifying what stirs our affections for jesus what gets you going for god you know let me tell you about myself i've spent some time doing this so i actually know that when i'm in relationship with people when i'm conversing when i'm having experiences that's when i get my god vibes You know, it's when I get going for God. In the same way, music gets my God vibes going. When I learn a new thing, that also gets my God vibes going. So Greek's been really good for that because there's so much learning. Maybe it's spending time for creation for you. Maybe it's growing a water lily. Maybe it's in the mornings. Whether you're an early person, I'm definitely not. Or whether it is a nighttime thing. There's no point for me to try and get up at five o'clock to see a sunrise because I'll be asleep on the bench trying to watch it. So rather. Obviously, for me, it would be better to go watch a sunset. Epic stories stir my affections. Good music stirs it. And then there's things that rob me of it. Something like watching too much TV. What that actually does to me... I mean, I don't think TV's devil's box. I think it's great. But what TV does to me... Is it actually makes me numb to things I should be sensitive to? I become amused at things that should actually break my heart. Those dating shows at the moment, they're good for a laugh, but ultimately, that's a sign of Jesus being needed in those people's lives. I lose compassion in those moments, right? So I have to be careful what I watch on TV. How is it that watching someone on kicking a ball around can rob me of my happiness in a day? That's not right. If they lose, of course. When they win, it's all good. And you might not be affected by TV. That's just one of the examples for myself. And you may actually see God's goodness in TV. You might see it and you might watch a lot of David Attenborough. And creation in that inspires you. That's great. But that's something I have to be careful of and I have to be aware of. So I think for us it's really important this week that we should identify what gets us going for God. Let me wrap up quick by telling you why these things in John 15 matter. In verse 11 it says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Now, in previous sermons, I've actually pointed out the difference between joy and happiness. One's worthy of pursuit and one's not. Quickly, happiness is frail and fragile, and it's built up on external circumstances and situations. You know this feeling. And it happens so often, you might have a really great day, and then someone's travelling 40 in a 70 zone. Shocking. Shocking. That's happiness, right? And destroys it, so it's so quickly destroyed. Joy is different because it isn't built on external circumstances, but ultimately it's built on spiritual realities. That I belong to Jesus and he belongs to me, that I'm positioned in his presence and that he is and will never lose me, that I'll never be able to do what he'd done for me, but he's done that for me. It's these things that we should be able to rest in. And that's where our joy comes from. So why is all this part of John 15 important? Because the the God who created the universe is serious about your joy, your deep-rooted and seated confidence that he is for you and he will make a way happen for you. So we're at the beginning of Palm Sunday in Holy Week with all our chips pointed into everything that Jesus did for us that we couldn't do for ourself. Just need to remember there's no safer place to rest than that. Let's pray together. Thank you, Jesus, for uh, all the things you have done for us. Thank you that you are what we cannot be and thank you that uh, you love us so much that you did die for us and that from that we can have a deep-seated joy. May you still our hearts as we try to identify what goes, gets us going for you and may you bless us as we try and reflect upon this week all the actions you took upon this Easter weekend coming. We pray that you are are able to speak to our hearts. That we be open to your voice. Amen.